This is the Stanley Avenue Church of Christ podcast. We are going through the book of Acts, and we are primarily in Acts chapter 7 today. We'll be reading from that chapter and then be making some points from it. I encourage you to follow along. We will be in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had given him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses to testify, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him from the land to the land that you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set foot on, But God promised him that he and his descendants would, after him, possess this land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the twelve patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him, and rescued him from all of his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, seventy-five in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of the people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was powerful in speech and in action. When Moses was forty years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. 
He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came up to the Israelites fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you wanting to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And he went over to take a closer look. And he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and dared not look. And the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the impression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received the living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their heart returned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time that they made the idol in the form of a calf, and they brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your god Riphon, and the idols you have made to worship. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern that he had seen, and after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land of the nations that God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people! Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Even they killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, 
They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears, yelled at the top of their voices, and rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved their killing of him. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. This year in Acts chapter 7 chronicles the beginning of the real persecution of the church. Uh, The Sanhedrin Council has been issuing threats up to this point, but this is the breaking point. This is when they begin to actually persecute the church in earnest, and it doesn't appear that they really care anymore what the Romans think. Up to this point, they've still been kind of in fear of the Romans. They're still kind of wanting to do things by Roman law, but enough is enough. And so they just kind of take matters into their own hands and are fine killing uh, the Christians at this point. Now, The introduction to this goes back to chapter 6 and verse 8, where Stephen, one of the seven who were appointed to be a minister of the widows in Jerusalem, he was somebody who was not just a table server. You know, he wasn't just chosen because he was a good servant, but not good for much else. No, he was a powerful orator. He was somebody full of wisdom, and he was able to argue his points quite eloquently and quite well. And he held his own against all the opponents. We find that uh, the synagogue of the freedmen, which included quite a bit of people from different backgrounds, they argued against Stephen, and he was able to stand up against them all in verse 10. And the point that I would make about this is ultimately that the way of Christ really does make the most sense. And verse 10 says that they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. This is the way of Christ. And no matter how you argue against Christ, Christ's way is still going to make the most sense. It is simply the most logical system of faith to believe in. And Stephen was able to argue that quite well against these men here who were, in fact, Jews. Stephen was able to use the law. He was able to use their own faith against them. And they got fed up with this. They didn't want to get beat by Stephen anymore. So when reason does not prevail, dishonest men typically will turn to some form of mockery. In this case, they start stirring up false accusations. They even go to the point in verse 13 of appointing false witnesses. And remember, false witnesses was one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, that you shall not bear false witness. They were asking people to disobey the Ten Commandments, especially whenever you were accusing somebody of something that would lead to the death penalty. The false witnesses were then charged with death. And so they were going out of their way to disobey the law to prove what exactly? That they were right all along? Well, they had no logical argument with all this. They were just simply lashing out at Stephen. And this goes back to what Jesus 
preached about uh, the way of light versus the way of darkness. You read back in the Gospel of John, uh, both John in the beginning commentary and Jesus in chapter 3 talk about the way of darkness does not comprehend or enjoy the presence of the light and fights against it simply because they don't want their evil deeds to be exposed. They don't try and turn their ways. They just want to squelch out the light. And that's what we find the world doing to us today. This is nothing new. This has been going on from the beginning. Well, Stephen has an opportunity to hold his own. Now, the accusations that have been thrown against him are kind of summarized in verse 14, which is, number one, that Jesus is going to destroy the temple, and the accusation, number two, that Jesus will alter Moses' customs. So these are the accusations, and of course, the false accusations are a twisting of uh, the truth, and this is not exactly what's going on. So, we need to see chapter 7 in the light of these accusations. Stephen is actually constructing his argument to answer these questions. Now, primarily, his method of communication here is history, and this is not an, a new thing. We, we find many of the people in Scripture recount the history to build an argument, and Stephen is going to do the same thing to make a point. All right, so his message here in Acts chapter 7 no need to go through this verse by verse. Uh, this is basic history. You read the Old Testament. Stephen doesn't do a whole lot of commentary on it. He basically just recounts what happens. Now, his point in this is, if we were to just kind of segment this out in verses 2 through 7, he's recounting God's promises to Abraham that he would inherit the land and that God's people must suffer. Abraham's descendants would suffer in the land of Egypt. Now, I think Stephen is going to imply through this that the people of God here are the Christians who are suffering by the hands of the Jews, uh, and so it's kind of a, a turning around of the way they think about their history. In verse 8, we have a confirmation of the promise being the circumcision that God gave to Abraham, and of course in other passages uh, we read, for instance, in Colossians 2, that circumcision is now made without hands, and that is, in fact, the baptism that we have. It is a sign of the covenant that we have with God. And then verses 9 through 16, we read about God's providence at play, but you also read this notion that our fathers, the patriarchs, rejected God's plans. You have the 12 tribes who are not good people. The, the, the patriarchs of these tribes are not good people. They're doing evil. They're trying to do evil against Joseph. But remember at the end of Genesis, Joseph's analysis of this is that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You cannot thwart God's plans no matter what evils you try and throw at it. They rejected God's choice of Joseph. And that becomes the pattern that Stephen is going to pick up on the rest of these stories. In verses 17 through 29, we are introduced to Moses, and Moses was brought up to be a deliverer. Moses saw himself as a deliverer, but they rejected him. They rejected Moses, kicked him out, uh, accused him of murder, which he had committed. So Moses ran off, and then God choose, uh, chose Moses again through that period of 40 years as a shepherd. Verses 30 through 34 then uh, highlight God's choice of Moses through the angel. The, the angel there meaning that this is God's choice in the matter. This is God's message. And then again, verses 35 through 43 once again, they reject Moses again. Yes, he leads them out of Egypt, but they just go right back to what they were doing before and rejecting Moses, uh, which is God's messenger. 
And then verses 44 through 50 describe God's temple, which really begins as the tabernacle. Uh, So this is God's house uh, that they are holding on to, and this is when Stephen starts to reintroduce the uh, the things that he has been accused of. So he's, he's basically tracing the history of God's people and the history of the tabernacle, the temple of God. So the temple of God here is God's design, he highlights. This is something that God has built. This is not physical in nature, and he, he mentions here that the tabernacle that Moses has built was built according to the pattern that God showed him. And when you go back and you read Hebrews and compare that back to Exodus, you find that God is simply patterning the tabernacle after what's already existing in heaven. This is not something that belongs to us. This is God's house. Uh, And God can choose to do with it what he wills. It's not even made by human hands. And when he says that uh, David and Solomon were involved in the building of the temple, and yet... This is not really God's dwelling place. He's really challenging them on viewing the tabernacle differently. They viewed the tabernacle as God's house. Therefore, whatever they did was sanctioned by God. Well, Stephen points out here, God doesn't even live there in the fullest sense uh, because uh, he lives in places not made with hands. And uh, they, in verses 51 through 53, he concludes by saying, you have rejected Moses, you have rejected Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 5, that uh, you listen to the words of Moses, you hold on to the words of Moses, but Moses spoke about me. And uh, he said, if you're not willing to listen to Moses, then you're not going to listen to what I have to say either. And so Stephen points that out. Now, here, I think, is the point of the sermon. There's really two points to this whole thing and the reason why he does it this way. And they're in direct answer to the accusations that Jesus will destroy the temple and that Jesus will alter the customs of Moses. Well, the first point Stephen makes here is that Moses' customs were for the purpose of preparing for Jesus. You know, that's where he quotes the... um, the passage in Deuteronomy 18, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brethren, and you shall listen to him. Moses' whole point of, of creating all that system and leading the people was, di- was to direct them back to Jesus. Jesus did not alter Moses' law. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And by fulfilling it, he actually accomplishes what Moses intended through the law. And so Jesus is not actually altering the customs of Moses. They, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the one rejecting Jesus, they're the ones altering the intention of the law. By rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting the law. And then secondly, he talks about the temple here. The temple is symbolized, uh, uh, or a symbol rather, of the spiritual body of Jesus. And John chapter 2 tells us quite plainly that when Jesus said, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days, it appears to be a twisting of that teaching that they were holding on to here. Well, the point there was that uh, the temple was meant to symbolize Jesus. The temple was just a shadow of Jesus in his body. And so Jesus wasn't the one tearing down the temple. They, by killing Jesus, were tearing down the true temple of God. See, they were the ones doing exactly what they were accusing Stephen of doing. And I believe that's the whole point of the sermon here that uh, Stephen makes. And so this reaction here in verse 54, they were cut to the quick, and because of this, they wanted to go out and put Stephen to death. Now, this is in contrast to the way the uh, Christians 
first behaved in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, they, when they heard Peter's message, were cut also to the heart, and they asked the question, what shall we do to be saved? Well, these here, the Sanhedrin council, who considered themselves to be the elite of Israel, were not willing to give up or to admit their wrongs. And so they just stuffed their ears and they stuffed, you know, uh, covered their ears and yelled out and completely refused to listen to what Stephen had to say. Uh, Stephen lifted up his eyes to heaven. You know, he sees Jesus. He's given that vision. They're completely unwilling to listen. Now, remember, Part of this crew are going to be Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection or do not believe in spirits. And so part of their unwilling to uh, an unwillingness to believe this is due to their presuppositions. But the other crowd is Pharisees. Uh, Saul, uh, being among them, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so uh, both of them would come together unwilling to listen to anything Stephen had to say. And this essentially is going to mirror Jesus. Uh, Stephen's death here mirrors exactly what Jesus went through by the process of it, the illegal actions of it. Stephen, Stephen performing signs and wonders, that's ignored. They throw false uh, uh, witnesses against him, and that's ignored. They kill Jesus, which is uh, against the Roman law, uh, just like they did it illegally uh, when they were trying to try Jesus uh, as well. And even the manner of Stephen's death here in verses 59 and 60, the way in which he asks God, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, Jesus would call out to the Father. Stephen sees Jesus as the owner of his spirit. And so he calls out to Jesus to receive his spirit. And then again, he says, do not hold this against them the same way as Jesus called out as well. I think Stephen is trying extra hard to mirror the pattern of Jesus. What else can you do? Uh, this is the purpose for which he has been called. Uh, he can see and knows that his time is up, and so he's going to do his best to mirror the pattern and the example of Jesus. And in chapter 8, we find that this is the beginning of the persecution that is going to spread throughout all of Jerusalem and the whole area. So really at the heart of this, we need to understand that Satan is the one that's really trying to stamp out the church. He's trying his hardest. He's tried threatening them. He's tried beating them. None of that's worked. He, now Satan's going to attempt to stamp out the church by uh, ushering this persecution, and he's going to use Saul to try and do it. Saul is a zealous man who is in the right place at the right time to persecute the church. Saul becomes well known for his persecutions here, and it's going to come back to haunt him many times, uh, even as we will uh, read in chapters to come. So, uh, the people of this world, the darkness in this world, the forces of evil, Satan himself tried to attack and stamp out Christianity and the church. And we're going to read that that just simply cannot happen. God's church continues to grow because God is in control. Thank you for listening and follow us more at stanleyavenuecoc.org.